Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back. Welcome. What is wrong with you right now? Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. What's that from? Oh, rare. It's uh, the theme song to Welcome Back. <laughs> By uh, Sebastian, whatever. Um, <laughs> my name is Mark. With me, as always, is my singing fiance, Carol. Why the fuck am I all of a sudden uh, getting the, the descriptors again? Hey, what's up? It's only a once in a while <laughs> thing, what's up? <laughs> Not much. It's been a good week here. It's... September 12th, 1998, and we're already off the rails. We are. For rails. We started off the rails. That's the problem. We got to get back on the rails. Welcome back. Your dreams will you ticket out. Um, I can't think of his name. It's not Ben. It's like, it's like Sebastian or something Sebastian. I don't remember. His name is something. Okay. Sebastian's in his name. The guy that does the song. Sure. Gabe Kaplan. Hey. Uh, it's weird that you chose that one, uh, that song to sing. There's a connection. No, it's really not. There's a connection here. Huh? Gabe Kaplan, star of Welcome Back, Cotter. Also, poker aficionado. Ah. Plays in the World Series of Poker, uh, usually every year. Uh, has done commentary for the World Series of Poker. Interesting. Yes. See, I, I psychically somehow knew. Good friends with Doyle Brunson, who's name checked in this movie. Oh yeah, Texas Dolly, and the other one too, Chan or whatever. Was he John, for real? Jonathan Chan. Yes, he is for real. <laughs> he is a hundred percent for real, Carol. They call him the Orient Express. Oh. Yeah, a uh, fantastic uh, poker player. Several World Series of Poker bracelets. I'm not sure how many at this point, like seven or eight or something wow. like that. Yeah. Including two world championships back to back. Doyle Brunson also has two world championships. Nineteen seventy I think I wanna say seventy six or no. Seventy seven, seventy eight, maybe? I don't know. Johnny Chan had probably the greatest run in the history of the World Series of Poker. Sorry to derail poker talk, everybody. We watched Round. We watched the movie Rounders about professional poker players, and yes. I happen to be a poker geek, so um, I, I dragged Carol to this movie. But uh, anyway, Johnny Chan had one of the more incredible runs where he won in 1987, he won again in 1988, and then in 1989, he finished second. Wow. To Phil Hellmuth Jr. Okay. The youngest ever World Series of Poker champion. Well, good for him. Yeah. But anyway, we saw the movie Rounders with Matthew Damon and Edward Norton. Yeah. Eddie Norton. Both amazing actors. Yes. They're okay, so I loved the movie. Thought it was fantastic. He's like glowing. I'm pregnant with poker talk. <laughs> um, fantastic actors all over oh, this yeah. movie. So we've got Matthew Damon. We've got uh, Eddie <laughs> Eddie Norton. Oh, my Lord. We've got Jonathan Turturro, who's great. 
He's the uh, the John Totoro. He's the uh, Kanish. Okay. I can't do that. You know, whatever. Um, we've got uh, John Malkovich. Oh yeah. Doing his best Russian I, accent. Yeah, I don't know, like. <laughs> I don't know what that accent is. Here's the thing. That's a horrible Russian accent. Mr. Sand of Beach. <laughs> Let's play cards. Sometimes I do wonder, like, how these actors who suck at making the accent that they need get the part. Like, were there really no better actors that could do the accent? Maybe they just offered it to Malkovich on it because he's such a big actor. But here's the thing. It's a terrible Russian accent, but it's a great accent, too. Like, I don't know what it is. It's no nationality that I've ever... Cats are just breaking in. Oh, uh, it's no nationality that I've ever heard of. It's essentially just a creation of John Malkovich, but it works for his character. Yeah. And it makes a lot of his lines very funny and, and memorable. Sure. Mr. Son of Beach. Then you've got, um, from this last time, I stick it in you. <laughs> uh, then, then you've got, in some support, like, you know, smaller roles, you've got, what's his name, uh... I can't think of his name off the top of my head now. Uh, Bella Lugosi from Ed Wood. Did you recognize him? Bella Lugosi. He played Bella Lugosi from Ed Wood. The look into my eyes. You know. Pull the strings. I know Bella Lugosi, but I can't remember who he was in this movie. Uh, uh, Lando. Martin Lando. He played the professor. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, he has two. He has two impactful scenes. One where he's talking about his, how he was studying to be a rabbi, and then he realized that he did not have the calling to be, to be a rabbi, to be religious, or what? I mean, he sounds like he's still religious, but to be, to be a servant of God, like that was not his calling, and he realized that the law was his life, uh, you know, later in life. But he has a like just a. Impact. It's a basically it's a monologue, and it's just an incredibly impactful emotional speech, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. Like he's so good. He is at, at the end when he's talking about how his mother let him leave the yeshiva, which is where they they learn. It's like it's basically like their seminary, of a Jewish people seminary. But uh, his his mother let him leave the yeshiva. Uh, he's like, you know, to do that for another is a mitzvah. And he's like, and for that, you, for that I owe. And the catch in his voice, the shine in his eyes. I mean, he's, he's fucking fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Both times he was on the screen, I was like, oh my God, this guy is just magnificent. Um, and then, uh, who's, who else is in this movie? Femke Jensen. She, the... Pretty poker player girl. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then Gretchen Moll is his was is his erstwhile girlfriend. Mm. Um, funny thing about her, so she comes on to uh, the the Femke Jensen character. Uh, I can't remember her. I can't remember what her name is, but she um, she comes on to she comes on to him. Uh, one second. Uh, she's a little distracted because the cat's fucking uh, 
tearing up the carpet here, and uh, it was distracting me, everyone. So, sorry, I had to kick the cat out of here. Anyway. The Femke Jensen character. I can't think of her name. Uh, Petra. That's her name, Petra. Mm-hmm. So she she comes on to him at one point, right? And <clears throat> yeah. he like, kind of turns her away. And you're thinking, like, why is he turning away Femke Jensen? Well, I understood it because he just got broken up with. He wasn't ready. Yes, but as written, that character was supposed to be uh, corpulent and unattractive. And then the, it was supposed to be an unattractive woman. What, why do you say that? That's how the character was written. How do you know that? Because I read a, a thing from the, the Hollywood Reporter about it. Okay, then why did they cast her? I, they She came in and read for the part, and they just fell in love with her, I guess. They decided to ca- cast her, even though it was completely against type of what they were going for. Okay, but so... But they didn't rewrite that scene. That scene makes more sense if you realize that she was supposed to not be attractive. So he was supposed to be um, turning her away because he's not attracted to her and not because he wasn't ready. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, I, I still, I made my peace with it because it, it also made sense to me that he just wasn't ready. I think I think it plays better. I think it plays that way too. I think it plays that way that he's not ready. I actually think it plays better for his character than if he was rejecting somebody that the audience is supposed to be like, oh, look at this ugly woman, like... I think all of it plays better. Yeah. And maybe they dis- maybe they figured that out. Yeah. In the writing of it. I don't know. But that uh, she's good in the movie. I feel like there was somebody else I wanted to talk about, but I guess not. I think that's... We covered the main players. I, I feel like... What was it? Maybe Grandpa? Gr- grandma. Grandma. Yeah, Grandpa. Well, why are you laughing? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me that his name is Grandpa. Yeah. He's a dude. That's true. Or Grandma. Grandma. Why? Why do they call him Grandma? Maybe I want to know. Maybe we can ask somebody Grandma. <laughs> it's annoying to me. You got my money. Um. So, what did you think? I've, I've talked about the movie. What did you think of the film? I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, you? it was it was interesting and suspenseful, and I enjoyed the acting. I like that it ends up with a pretty happy ending. A decently happy ending. I mean, aside from Worm. A like, circular ending, yeah. Because the, the dude's best friend, Edward Norton, goes by Worm, and it just ruins his fucking life. So, I mean, that's the one part that's bad. It's like his friend is like a fucking disease, and he needs to... Lose that friendship. But. His friend is essentially the villain in the movie. Yeah. Like, Grandma, I guess, and KGB are supposed to be the villain. Or, like, Bad Beats are supposed to be the villain. <laughs> but Worm, it really is. Like, I think that he has some charm and everything because he's being played by Edward Norton. But in, in essence, in character... He basically does nothing oh, yeah. of redemption, like, that redeems him in any way. No, he, he comes out already owing money, and he's looking to his friend to, mm-hmm. like, help him, and not in, like, a normal way. <laughs> like, right. he wants to use him to cheat at poker, and, and, st- and like, the guy's a good poker player. Matt mm-hmm. Damon's a good poker player. He doesn't right. need to cheat. 
But he gets him in all the trouble. At the beginning of the movie, Matt Damon goes around his apartment and collects a bunch of cash that he has hidden in. Uh, it's like I don't know. It's like poker trophies that he has around. Uh, it's it's essentially to establish to the aud- to the poker loving audience. We know who you are. We understand you. <laughs> we are you. Because like he has money in. Uh, uh, Mike Caro's book of tells, <laughs> which is a big thing for like serious poker nerds where he, Mike Caro's a guy that goes through like all the body language and stuff like that of different tells. Uh, he has Doyle Brunson's super system, which is like the Bible of poker. Essentially. Um, he gets, uh, I think I, th- there's a couple other places. I can't remember some of the other ones, but there's a couple other places he gets money out of. It's like, yeah, it's a poker thing. We all like Amarillo Slim's biography or whatever, you know. So it's all books. Well, mostly there's there's one in a picture. But okay. I don't know if it was a uh, still from the Cincinnati Kid or or whatever. But um, have you read these books? Yeah, I figured I, you I had. Have. I figured you had. So. The Caro, uh, the Caro thing, I think, was actually the videotape. There is a book, Mike Caro's book of poker tells, and then there's a video that goes along with it where he has people do the tells, and like they're all sitting at a table, and he explains it and everything. Mm. I've both seen the VHS and read the books. It is crazy to me. Like you are able to like guess what people have when you're playing poker, or like especially when you're playing poker with me. Um, <laughs> And, like, he is obviously able to do that. He shows that off to his professors mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, I don't understand how anybody can do that. I just don't. Like, it makes no sense to me. Okay, so I'll give you a for instance that happened to me in real life. Okay. I wasn't involved in this hand of poker. And that's typically when you're not involved in a hand, you see a lot more tells. Because you're not worried about what you have. You're not. You're very detached and dispassionate which is the best time to see tells. But so I wasn't involved in this hand, but two other people were at the table and I was just observing. Uh, hand comes down, the the first three cards. So in for those of you that don't know, Texas Hold'em is the game they play in this movie and they explain what Texas Hold'em is. Essentially, it's a seven-card stud game. Uh, you get two cards face down and then five cards are dealt across the board. So that's seven cards total. You use your two cards with the five cards on the board, and the other people use their own two cards with the five cards on the board to make their best five-card hand. That's basically how the game's played. Um, So I was sitting at a table in a casino one night, and the flop comes down for the first three cards. They call the flop. First three cards come down, and the two people involved in the hand, one bets... And the other calls. And the flop is ace high. And I was thinking the whole time, the guy that bet raised beforehand, I said, I think he's got something like ace king, ace queen, two high cards with an ace. That makes sense. He'd raise with that. He hit an ace on the flop, all that stuff. The turn comes, and it's an eight. The guy that called the bet, I'm watching him. He does a very classic tell. And this is... uh, this is subconscious. You don't think about this. This isn't, it's because the best tells are ones that people are not thinking about at all. 
when the eight, I'm looking at him. I'm not looking at the card, so I don't know that the card that's come down is an eight yet. But when the turn card comes, which is the fourth card, he glances down at his chips real quick. Glances down at his chip stack. He sees the card, glances at his chip stack, and then looks up. That's a tell of extreme strength. Because when you see something that helps you, you look at the chips, how much money can I bet? How much money am I going to be able to win? Then I looked at the board, and I saw that the card was an eight. The eight didn't complete a straight or a flush or anything else. So I said the I said to myself, the only way that card could help him is if he had two eights. And now he has three eights. So the guy bets, the guy that that did the tell raises, other guy goes all in, he calls, and before they flip the cards over, I was like, I think you have ace-king and he has pocket eights. And that's exactly what they had. Wow. And everyone was like, oh my god. Because <laughs> it looks like magic when you do something like that, but it's really observing stuff like that. But that's the things you learn from poker tells and stuff like that. There's There's different ones... Um, that, that one is one of the big ones where a card, cards come down that help somebody, they'll look at their chips and then look back. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's bluffing and they're nervous about it, uh, especially women, not to like, not to, to judge or anything, but, just, but women, women do this, especially hating on women. they'll go like this. They'll put their hand on their, over their neck. Hmm. This is a defensive posture. If you have your hand and it's like placed right here at the base of your neck, men when they when they do that, they tend to do it more like this with a fist closer to the side of their neck. But women feel kind of comfortable, I think, being right here like this. So if you're playing against a woman and she makes a bet, and then she subconsciously she's not trying to throw you off, but she she kind of goes like this. She's defensive. <laughs> She, you know, she's afraid of what might happen next. Uh, so that usually indicates weakness. It's stuff like that. Interesting. But at the beginning of this movie, he takes his $30,000 that he has and goes to play poker with it in this big game that Teddy KGB is hosting. Uh, right away. So I'm going to say this movie gets... Most things about poker, right? Mm -hmm. This is probably the most accurate poker movie I've ever seen. Okay. But there are things they get wrong, like any other poker movie. The premise of this movie is that right before this happened, Mike McDermott, our, our hero, Matt Damon, was in the Taj Mahal, the Trump Taj Mahal, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Play and played against Johnny Chan, world champion, and beat him, bluffed him out of a hand, and said, I'm good enough to play against the best in the world now, I think. I mm -hmm. think I'm ready to move up in the world. So, if that's what he wanted to do, if he wanted to go play in the World Series of Poker, the buy-in is $10,000. So he could have done that. Like, he could have, with the 30000 he had... He could have flown to Vegas, put up ten grand, played in the World Series, and had plenty of money left over yeah. as a bankroll. But instead, he puts every penny he has on the line in one game, which is terrible, what they call bankroll management. Right. You have a bankroll, which is the amount of money that you have set aside 
to play, and you're supposed to you're supposed to put no more than like let's say one twentieth of your bankroll in play at any one time. So if your bankroll is a thousand dollars, then you should only have twenty dollars or two hundred dollars. Yeah, uh, no, uh, not two hundred. No, like yeah, like twenty bucks. That's crazy. But that's if, and that's the thing. Like, if you want to play, you should be able. Essentially, you should be able to lose between. You should be able to ha- have about twenty to twenty-five losing sessions in a row before you go broke. Wow! So, if you have a thousand dollars and that's your bankroll, then you should play in twenty-dollar tournaments. Hmm. Okay. I mean, if you want to, now this is not like if you're just going out for fun one one night or something like that. This is if you want to play professionally. Mm-hmm. If you have, you want to do this for a living because you have to, because that means you're going to play every day. I mean, or like five days a week or whatever, like a job. You're going to try to grind this out and and make profit off of this. Uh, That's what you should do. You should manage your bankroll like that because if you put too much of it on the line at once, anyone can have a, this movie wants to make it seem like there is no luck in poker at all, which is just not correct. Mm. There is luck. And you know, sometimes you're going to have bad runs. You used to argue that with me all the time. It's more skill than it is luck. The argument that they make in this movie of like, how come the the, the same guys are always finishing at the final table of the World Series of Poker? That's true. That does happen. Mm-hmm. All, like almost all the time. And yeah, they're not just the luckiest guys. It is a skill game. Tournaments are more luck than cash games. Uh, and generally, the higher stakes you play, really, the less of a luck factor there is. Uh, and the more skill comes into play. But the higher you move up in games, the better you have to be because the skill does mean so much. Right. So if you're not as good as those guys, you're going to get destroyed. Um, but, yeah, there is some luck. But, you know, like... Luck is gonna luck's gonna impact you if you're a recreational player. Luck impacts you a decent amount if you just play recreational here and there. If you play every single day, like if you play cash every single day, if you're better than everyone else and you're making decisions that have better statistical outcomes than everyone else, then you're going to win in the long run. That's just how it is. That makes sense. There's and 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 that that eventually eliminates luck, but only when you're looking at it in the long run. In the short run, you're going to have bad turns uh, where you're getting bad cards or you're getting beat by stuff, and then you're going to have good runs that balance those out. So if you take over, you know, if you take over like ten sessions, luck is going to play a big part in those ten sessions, probably. But if you're expanding it out to like a thousand sessions or ten thousand sessions of playing poker, then the luck factor is going to go way down. The more you play, the less luck plays a factor. So I have a question too. Mm-hmm. Like, were all these games illegal that they're playing in? Yes. Okay, because that's what I thought. Like, except I know, the ones in Atlantic City. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's legal in Atlantic City and it's legal in Las Vegas, but I don't think it's legal pretty much anywhere else. Um, only on like Indian reservations where they mm-hmm. have casinos. Um, we have a few of them here, and right. they're uh, and they're they passed that law here where they're going to open up the three casinos. Uh, they're not open yet, but um, we've talked about it before. 
uh, in the news stories. But they passed the law. They had, the casinos haven't opened up yet, but they're going to open up three casinos here. So eventually it will be legal here, too. Yeah. In those three casinos. Um, but yeah, other than that, like in New York, no. Those clubs that they went to, the Chesterfield Club and, and uh, some of these other clubs, they are underground clubs. And the police having a poker game, that's kind of fucked then, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they were uh, guards, I think, right? Oh, were they guards? Okay. Or, or guards or state patrol or something like that. They worked for the state, though. They weren't mm-hmm. municipal employees, like he said. They were state employees. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think they were prison guards, because prison guards do work for the state. That makes sense. Um, but anyway, so he goes he goes and, and loses all his money in this game, because he loses all of his money on one hand, where he has the second best hand possible. For the cards on the board. And John Malkovich's Teddy KGB has the best hand possible on the board. And then later in the movie he goes, um, hey, that time at KGB's, it wasn't a bad beat. It wasn't bad luck. I got outplayed. No, you're wrong. That's You didn't get outplayed. That was a bad beat. That's bad luck. That's right. the definition of a bad beat. When you have the second best hand possible and the person holds the only two cards in the entire deck and he and they he has to have both of them mm-hmm. that will beat you. That is the definition of a bad beat. Right. So like yeah. He he quits poker and decides to fully dedicate himself to Gretchen Mole. That does not last long. No. Well, I guess I mean it was like nine months or whatever between the beginning Ooh. of the movie and then the rest she of the story. Been pregnant. Right? I would have been like uh, foreshadowing <laughs> or something. Um, oh, maybe maybe that is on purpose though. Nine months till his rebirth. Oh, jeez. I'll bet they did that on purpose. <laughs> maybe his rebirth as a poker player. Because why make it nine months? Why not one year later? I don't know. Like nine months specifically. Yeah, I never thought about that, but that's... Arbitrary that's, number? No, no, no. I think you're on to something. I wasn't, I wasn't the one that said it. You were. I think I'm on to something. <laughs> Gretchen Moe looks kind of like an older Michelle Williams. She does. Yeah, they have the similar haircut and yeah. similar face. Yeah. yeah. But Michelle Williams is way better looking. Yeah, I agree. I don't want to wait. For your cards to get better. <laughs> I want to know right now, will you be in court? Um, so, yeah, they're in law school together. Yeah. That does not fit. Like, like poker municipal player. Municipal city law school or something. Yeah. Poker player, lawyer. I mean, I guess the reading people works, yeah. but illegal hobby for a <laughs> legal professional. I don't know. Well, a lot of people have uh, come from, like, professional the professional poker players that exist, like, in Las Vegas and everything, the big-time ones, um, a lot of them have come from, like, um, Wall Street, uh, you know, things like that. There's one who's, uh, like, an up-and-coming uh, dude named Chris Ferguson, uh, whose dad is a professor of game theory okay at one of the universities game theory is a uh, a form of mathematics popularized by a man named uh nash um and 
essentially it's a way to to calculate uh, zero sum games or even cooperative systems in some ways too. But it's a, it's a very complex math theory. And this kid, well, I mean, he's an adult, but Chris Ferguson, uh, this guy, actually they call him Jesus because he's got super long hair <laughs> and a big bushy beard. That's um, funny. But, uh, so he kind of looks like that, but uh, he uses um, he uses game theory to decide whether he's going to call full to race. Wow. So he's using very complex mathematical formulas to do this. That makes sense. I mean, it seems like it might be a little extra time consuming to be doing math in your head like that all the time, though. Yeah. But people people come from mathematical backgrounds. Um, I, I guess I agree with you. Not too many lawyers, I don't think. <laughs> Or former lawyers or professional poker players, but the two the two dudes that wrote this movie uh, used to play at some of the underground clubs in New York. Okay, and they actually met Eric Seidel because who's is kind of featured in this movie as a loser because uh, Eric Seidel, another professional poker player, um, used to play at these underground clubs in New York all the time. Okay, the one the Chesterfield Club is. Uh, based off of um but yeah and so they get a lot of stuff right because of that because they have experience in this in this world well that makes sense i mean that you need to know what you're writing one thing that i hate though there's so i mean this is very nitpicky but there's some bets that are just outrageous where it's like the blinds are which are the forced bets that you have to put in are like 50 and 100 dollars, and someone's like i raised two thousand dollars She's like, I raised 20 times the pots, hmm. it, which is just way too much money. It's ridiculous. But he was talking about having no limit. Yes. Yeah, there is. That's true. And there's no limit. And you can do that. But generally, people wager in relation to the pot because of something called pot odds. I'm not going to get into all the, okay. the different things that I could get into as far as poker goes. But betting, if there's like $100 in the pot. And someone says, I'm betting $2,000. The only way you're going to call that, because you have to risk $2,000 to win the $100 that's in right. the box. The only way you're going to call that is if you have a super, super strong hand. Because otherwise, it's like, that's not worth it at yeah. all. Right. That's why usually someone would be like, oh, there's $100 in the pot. I'll bet $100. Mm-hmm. You know? Um. So that's kind of a little nitpicky. But um, the thing that they do in this movie, that they do in pretty much every poker movie that I hate, Hmm. is called string betting. What's that? String betting is where you do the classic, you know, I bet $500, and the guy goes, I see your $500, and I raise. (laughs) You're not allowed to do that. Really? No, you're not allowed to call a bet and then race. Okay. Because once you call a bet, you could look at your opponent's face. You could try to get tells. You could, you know, you can manipulate the game if you can say, like, I uh, I call and the guy goes, you know, like that. And, go, and I raise. <laughs> no, it's like you, you can't. Yeah, that makes sense. You can't do that. So if you're going to raise, you have to announce raise. I bet $500 raise and then you can put the 500 in and decide how much you're going to raise mm-hmm. but as long as you say raise but yeah there's a couple times in this movie where they're like 
I see it, and I raise. And it's like, no, that's not allowed. <laughs> In any poker room, anywhere. Okay. Maybe Teddy KGB has his own rules, but... What did you think about his uh, his Oreo obsession? That was weird. And why does it say, do not touch? Like, why would you have something sitting on the table with a note saying, do not touch, and yet you're going to eat it? Like, the They're whole thing... His. But, oh, he's saying, do not touch everybody else. Yeah. I, I got. I thought it was orders. like a note to himself, like "Don't eat these." Don't touch these. Fast. <laughs> you poisoned them, Teddy. Don't touch them. They're just for intimidation. But he, I don't, I know, I don't think you noticed it exactly right away. In the beginning of the movie, when he has the two aces, he's got an Oreo, and he holds it up to his ear for some reason, and hears himself click it open, and then he eats the Oreo. Yeah, he's a weirdo. When he was bluffing, later in the movie, he looked at the Oreo, he opened it, then he closed it back up and put it back down, and he did not eat it. Hmm. So then later, even later in the movie, towards the end, when he goads him into playing more, he he opens it and eats it, and uh, from that, Mike knows that he's got the best possible hand. Right. Because he apparently only does that when he has the best possible hand. It's the most bizarre tell I've ever seen in my life. It seems way too deliberate to be a subconscious tell. But it's, it's, yeah, it does. It really, yes, correct. Very good. Way too deliberate to be a subconscious tell. Um, but uh, as a movie device, I think it works. Yeah. Now, this movie is not doing super well in the box office. Oh, well. Unfortunately. Um, I guess y'all have to go out and see it. Yeah, please. It's a fantastic film. I loved it. It was very good. It's the the interpersonal like dynamics between the characters. I think really made it. Like you said, the acting, all that stuff. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You have anything else to say about it? Um, I was just thinking about how they got their asses beat by those prison guards or cops or whatever. Because he was cheating. Yeah, because Worm was cheating. Because Worm sucks. I hate Worm. Um, Is there anything redeemable about his character? I don't think so. Well, didn't he go to jail to protect his friend? No, he got expelled from school to protect his friend. So he did. He went to jail because he was distributing stolen credit cards. (laughs) He did one nice thing for his friend when they were in school. There you go, and that got earned him lifetime loyalty. But it's like on top of having not slept for days, then he got the shit beat out of him. Mm. Worm thinks he broke a rib he said yeah I think like they cracked a rib how are they still supposed to be able to just continue on like la la let me keep playing it is a little unbelievable yeah i mean he went like five days with no sleep he had to have gotten sleep somewhere i mean he would have been hallucinating and that was the thing that pissed me off the most though is like they're driving five hours to this game let him sleep but he was driving yeah the fuck um yeah, there are people I've known and talked to that think like, oh, I can play two days. I can play three days straight and still be on my A game. And then like after three days, it drops off a little bit and I got to quit. It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone can. I, there might be the one in a billion, uh, uh, like, uh, exception to the rule out there or whatever. Mm. Leonardo da Vinci supposedly only slept like, four hours every night or something like that and he was fine so there might be some freak out there of nature that could do that could do more than 24 hours but to me 
I don't think I've ever seen anyone play more than 24 hours and be on their A game. Yeah. You might think you're on your A game, but you're not. You're not making the most uh, sound decisions at that point. So, yeah, I think that's my only complaint is at the end of, you know, the five days and the beatings and everything else, he still manages to outplay that guy. And the movie is circular, essentially. He ends the movie exactly where he started the movie. Well, not exactly. He ends the movie money-wise exactly Mm -hmm. where he started the movie. He has $30,000, and now that's enough to go to Las Vegas. When it was enough, anyway. But now his best friend is on the run, and he'll probably never talk to him again. Yeah. And his girlfriend has left him. And he's dropped out of law school. Yep. But, I mean, they open it up for a sequel. Yeah. Rounders 2. Even rounder. (laughs) I would watch it. I would totally watch it. I want to see him in Vegas. I do, too. But uh, that is the show for the week. Carol, tell them where they can see us in Vegas. <laughs> you can write us at elitefee1994 at awl.com. Uh-huh. Check out our website at www.retroelitefee.com. Yep. And share the tapes with your friends. We'll be in the Mirage. Thank you. Bye. Bye.